This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning, everybody. It's going to be a fantastic day. If we have not met yet, my name is Kevin. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here at New Life, and I'm going to guide us uh, through our journey today. My wife, Maria, is going to be joining me on stage in just a few minutes, but she's heading off to go get ready. So feel free to erupt into spontaneous applause when she comes out on stage later. Uh, like you always do for me. That's what I would say. Uh, uh, I'm really excited today. Don't let this voice fool you. I woke up with a little bit of a head cold, chest cold thing, which I told you before just means that I fluctuate between sounding like Barry White and Barry Gibb, depending on how excited I get. So, but Barry White should be good for talking with my lady. So it should be good up on stage. Uh, hey, let me just share with you some things. Last week was just one of those weeks where it was just so good to be part of this community. Last Sunday, about 650 of us gathered together to witness and celebrate 20 people getting baptized last week. And that was so exciting. I love that. Uh, and we had three people make first-time decisions to follow Jesus last week, and I love that. That just never gets old, and uh, it was wonderful. Life Group started up this past week, and we have, I think, roughly 340 or so, 350 people in Life Groups, which is the most our church has ever had. I mean, there's just so much stuff happening right now that I absolutely love being part of this community. So um, I just want to say thank you for joining me today. We're going to have a great time. You're going to want to grab a few things uh, out of your program. The first is this card that says, Start Here. Uh, This is your all-access pass to our pastoral team. So you're going to want to fill that out with your name. And if you're a guest with us, your email address. And then you can uh, can write down prayer requests. You can ask us questions. You can get information. This is the way that we give ourselves access to this community so we can serve you and pray for you and partner with you in any way that we can. And a little bit later, we'll pass some baskets and you can go ahead and just drop this in the basket when it's passed. You're also going to want to grab the teaching notes. Uh, They've got a Bible story we're looking at today, and I've never actually explored this story from this direction, so it's going to be very, very fun for us today. Uh, They've got some thoughts and things that you might want to just take and and chew on this week as we continue uh, to engage with this series, Love Actually, Discovering Together What Love Actually Looks Like. And uh, just to catch you up to speed, last week I said that Jesus lays out a different model for love than kind of the rest of the world does. Jesus' model for love looks a lot like this. It it looks like, how can I put she before me? Or if you're the she, how can I put he before me in my relationship? Paul says it this way, the way that we surrender our rights to each other is by loving and respecting and submitting to one another. And what Paul's saying is this, the goal of love, the goal of a marriage is to look for ways to give ourselves to the other person so that they know how deeply loved they are, how respected they are, that they are enough, good enough, pretty enough, smart enough, and gosh darn it, people like them. I mean, these are the things that we're looking at. And one of the things I wanted to say this week was, um, if you're not married, never want to be married, really like being single, these principles that we're talking about in this series really are transferable to all relationships. Because the stuff we're talking about is really how do I create a safe, healthy, welcoming relationship and environment. Now we're talking about it in the context of marriage, but really you could look at this as how do I create a safe space for my children to grow up in? How do I create a safe space for a good friend? How do I create a safe space as an adult for my adult parents? How do we really do this? And so that's what we're looking at is how can I put the other before myself in this relationship? Because while it is not fair and while it's not intuitive, 
It might just be the thing that leads you to the path that you ultimately want, which is that that other person would then give themselves back to you in a mutual self-giving sort of relationship. Uh, And someone asked me last week, they said, well, Kevin, isn't that word for love that you talked about last week, which we're going to talk about again today, doesn't that word for love also mean that you would love someone um, in a way that does what's best for them, even if they don't think it's best, which is an interesting concept. And I said, well, that word actually does mean that. It means that you would love someone and do what's best for them, and sometimes they wouldn't even know it's best. And we all know this in parenting. It's the kind of love that, that the Bible talks about the way that you love your children, that you would actually do things for them that don't feel like they're best, giving them, uh, you know, vegetables, giving them bedtimes, not letting them run out in the street. They might think, why are you making me stay on the sidewalk? But you would say, because it's best for you, even though you don't know that it's best But there's one key. And if we don't get this one key, the whole idea of loving someone in a way when they don't feel like it's best for them will never work. And the key is safety. Safety. If someone does not feel safe, they will never invite you to love them in a way that when you disagree about what's best, that they would say, okay, I'm going to actually trust you to love me in this moment. And I saw this in this passage. And again, I've probably read this passage 20 or 30 times in my life and only ever heard this passage in the context of a money series. And I just want to be very clear right now, we're not talking about money today. So you can take your hand off your pocket. It's okay. We're not talking about finances, but there's a principle in here that when I read it this time, it struck me. And it's the story, if you've been raised in the church, the story of who we've come to know as this rich, young ruler. And so I want to take us to this story today uh, as we press into it. And it starts off like this. As he, Jesus, was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and he knelt down before him and he asked Jesus, good teacher. Now I want you to underline this next part. What must I do to inherit eternal life? It's an interesting question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? We're going to come back to that in a second. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And then he says, you know the commandments, and he lists off a few of the big ten. He says, you know the commandments. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't defraud other people. And honor your father and your mother. Verse 20, the man said to Jesus, teacher, I have kept all of these things since my youth. And Jesus looked at him, and this is the part that I've always missed, and he felt a love for him. And he said to him, one thing you lack, go, sell all your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. But these words, he was saddened, and he went away grieving because he owned much property. And I've only ever heard this in the context of money. Don't be like the rich young ruler. Trust Jesus. Give it all away. He's going to take care of you. In my 20s, I was like, yeah, give it all for Jesus. Or like, you know, lay it all out. In my, in my day, I was like, we have a radical faith. Who, like, no one uses that word anymore, but that was us, you know? We have a radical faith. Kicking it old school. But the key to this entire interaction is not what happens at the end. The key to the entire interaction is something that I missed every single time I read it. And the key to the entire interaction is something that this man missed 
as well. And because he missed the key of the interaction, he walked away sad. So let's set the stage. This man walks up to Jesus. He's a devout follower of God. And he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Which is an odd question because we all know that you can't do anything to inherit something. Inheritance, by definition, comes from the heir, right? Someone gives something to you by nature of your relationship to them. It has nothing to do with doing. So you can't actually do something to inherit eternal life. So Jesus looks at him and he says, you're missing the point. Inheritance comes from relationship. And the only way to inherit eternal life is to enter into a relationship with a God who describes God's self as a perfect, loving, all-powerful, heavenly Father. And when you enter into that relationship with your heavenly Father, you gain all the rights, all the inheritance of a daughter of God or a son of God. But Jesus plays along with this guy, even though he's missing it. And so Jesus lists off the big 10, and the big 10 that he lists off have to do with relationships to other people. Don't steal, don't lie, don't commit adultery, honor your father and your mother. And the man looks at Jesus, and he lies to his face. Because he says, I've done all these things since my youth. And in the original language, that phrase, all these things, it carries with it an idea that I've done this to perfection. I've never missed it. I've always only ever done this. And anyone who's got kids would say, liar. (laughs) You are, listen, by the very nature that you cried at 3 a.m., you are not honoring me as your father when I had to change your stinky diaper. You already lost. So just picture this moment. This man is looking at Jesus and lying to his face. Just lying to him. Whether it's because he's, he's delusional and self-deceptive or because he just genuinely is trying to look good and save face in front of the community around him. Nonetheless, he's lying to Jesus. And, and it says that Jesus looked at him and felt a love for this upstart young kid who was lying to his face. And this story is told in three of the four biographies of Jesus' life. But it's only in Mark, which is the story that we're looking at today, only in the gospel or the good news of Mark, that this little phrase, Jesus looked at him and loved him, is added in. And that's so important because Mark, if you you look at all of the biographies of Jesus' life, Mark is kind of a paint with broad strokes kind of a guy. Mark is a, Jesus went here, Jesus went there. Jesus did this, Jesus did that. Mark uses the phrase immediately, 39 times in his biography. It's like Jesus healed the sick. Immediately, Jesus crossed the lake. Immediately, Jesus went over here. It's like, you know, he's like a dog. Like, he's here, a squirrel. He's there. He's just gone in Mark's gospel. Jesus never really just, like, sits back and meanders. He's always immediately doing this, immediately doing that, immediately going somewhere. But Mark, at this point in the story, pauses, and he's the only one who does it. And I know what you're thinking. This is so interesting. I love comparing the different biographies of Jesus' life. I know, me too. We're nerding out together. So good. Mark's the only guy, this broad strokes guy, is the only guy who pauses and says, Jesus looked at him and felt a love for him. And that phrase, felt a love, does a bit of an injustice to the original language. The original language uses the same word twice. It says, Jesus loved a love for this man. 
Here's why that's important. Because when an author in the Bible uses the same word in repetition, they're really trying to communicate something to you. It's like they're saying, don't miss this. Whatever you do, don't miss what's going to happen now. You can tune out for part of the story, fill out your start here card, that's okay. Don't miss this. Jesus loved a love for this man. It's the word agapeo, where we get agape. It's that self-giving love that we talked about last week. It's a love that is welcoming. It's a love that looks at someone and is fond of that person. It's a love that loves deeply and dearly and continually. And in the face of this man lying to Jesus, Jesus looked at him and he loved a love for him. He looked at him and he believed in him. Even in the midst of the man lying even in the midst of the man's imperfection and claiming to be perfect. He's claiming to be perfect in front of God. Bad choice. But Jesus loved him because Jesus knew him and he saw him and he knew his heart and he knew his motives. And he says to the guy, you lack one thing. Go. Give everything away to the poor and then come and follow me. But the invitation to go and give is not a precursor to love. The invitation to go and give is because you are already loved. Jesus is saying to this guy, listen, your safety is found in your resource. But you don't have to do anything to inherit God's love. In fact, you already have it. You've already received your inheritance as God's child. You're already safe in God's love. Now you can go and give everything away because that's not the thing that will keep you safe. God will ultimately keep you safe. And the man walked away sad, but I don't think he walked away sad because he had to give everything away. I think he walked away sad because he missed the reality that he was safe in the love of God. And if you miss that reality, then anything that comes after is just going to be rules and good ideas and thoughts. Do this, don't do that. Follow this, don't follow that. That is religion. That is the law and legalism. If you want to really please God, do these 20 things. But Jesus says, you've already received my love. You already are my daughter. You already are my son. You've got your inheritance in full and you're safe right here. Yeah, come on out, Mo. It's a good time. Hey. Hello. Hi there. What up, lady? You know. I love seeing all the, my fan club out there. That's nice. Yeah. I'm feeling the love. Yeah. They love a love. I love a love for you. Yeah. That's nice. That is nice. I'm applying we'll the sermon right now. see after I stop right talking now. if you really love a love for me. Um, here's why this is so important, this idea. Because in a relationship, if we don't actually know that we're safe, then anything we suggest will only ever feel like condemnation, correction, guidance. Have you ever, have you ever felt like, why is my spouse treating me like my child? If you ever have, it's because in that moment, you did not feel safe in the love and belief and acceptance of your spouse. 
And that's what we're going we're gonna to talk about a little bit today. So, But before we do, I get to clear the air because Kevin's up here every week and it's not fair. Um, so a lot of you, and this is just to help contextualize for us, a lot of you have asked me, what's it like to be married to this guy um, every week to get up here and hear him talk about you and your marriage and all this stuff? And I just have to say... It's a jolly holiday with you, Kev. Yeah. I appreciate that, yeah. Gentlemen like you are few. Yeah. Though you're just a diamond in the rough, Kev. Yeah. Underneath your blood is blue. That's the line. I don't know what it means, but underneath your blood is blue. Yeah. So it's actually like being married to Mary Poppins a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> Only he's male. I was saying to a friend the other day. Hold um, on, hold on. That, no, I was, saying to, I was saying to my buddy, I was saying, I'm like a theme party waiting for an occasion to happen. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, let's do this. But instead, <laughs> I can't get through this. Instead of leaving our, our family in beautiful songs about feeding birds, we're learning 90s hip hop yeah. and rap. Instead Amen. of magical snappy chore day, we're having Finkbeiner family fun day. Yep. And when he tells me we're going to engage in competitive horse racing, I know that we're about to do something that's way out of our comfort zone, for example, this morning. So talking in front of all of you. So here we are. But it's really great. And marriage is super hard work. So it's a lot of work on the other side of that. Mm -hmm. They don't show you that in the outtakes of Mary Poppins, but that's (laughs) real life for us. Yay. Are we ready to talk about marriage? Hit it. I'm ready. Yay. Let's jump in. Uh, as we talk about marriage this morning, I wonder if you are out there thinking or have ever felt this. You see like a deficiency in your spouse, a giant hole, or something that's gaping. Let's call it a flaw. Uh, something that they, the way that they interact with the, their ki- the kids, the way they interact with their boss, the way they interact with you, something is off. And you see that it's not giving them the results that they want in that moment, in that interaction, and it's not giving you the results that you want out of your spouse. Um, So one day you confront them with this problem. Here's this gaping hole flaw. And you tell them the top 10 ways how to to fix it, how to make it better. And they are brilliant ways, by the way. They are well thought out and they are calm in your calm voice, everything. (laughs) But when you confront your spouse, they get angry at you instead or defensive, or my personal favorite, and my counselor will tell you this, they shut down. That's real life. So you're left scratching your head thinking, oh, that did not go well. Why, did not that, why didn't that work, you know? Uh, and then uh, a few days later, they do the same thing again. They have that same terrible interaction, that, that same terrible thing that happens, or that flaw comes up. And now you're the one getting angry and defensive because you told them the top 10 things to do to fix this gaping hole problem. And the cycle continues and continues and continues. But the truth is, and you've already said, and I'll say, your spouse will never uh, be in the freedom and fullness of who they are in any given situation until they experience safety, the safety of your love and your belief in them. So. I mean, this is the thing that, that Jesus actually offers to us is safety first. Safety first in a relationship so that we can flourish to become who we were created to be. That's why he says, he says, come walk with me, come join me, come in partnership with me. He doesn't say, here's a list of 20 rules or 30 rules or 50 things to do. But um, I was raised up in a, in a teaching style that was very next step action oriented. 
uh, and I'm really good at it. And like I, I like to say, this is really fun for short stints, 30 minutes on a Sunday morning. But if you could imagine being married to me when I've always got a Bible verse for something and a next step and a three action points. And hey, here's what we could do to make this better. It gets to be a lot. But honestly, so we've been married for just a, almost 10 and a half years now. And I used to think early on, if I just give Maria enough evidence that she should do something different and enough next steps, action points and Bible verses, she would then do it. Because obviously she wants to be free, but then it, it didn't work. And that's because... Yeah. Well, the right next steps to me showed me that Kev was seeing something in me that I already know, knew or believed about myself, which, which was that I was failing in that moment. So I needed like stitches as opposed to the fix-it bandage. You know what I'm talking about? So because of this, him telling me how to fix it or telling me how I was failing in those moments and him pointing out those things and how to fix it actually confirmed my worst fears about me, that you think about me the way that I am already feeling about me. And that was the the trick. And this is, I don't know if if you resonate with this in your own marriage, in your own relationships, but... My assumption about Maria has always been that she is highly intelligent, highly capable, that she's beautiful, that she's, you know, fun to be around. And so if she's not doing something, my assumption was she's not doing it because she either doesn't know it's a problem or she just doesn't care. So my plan to fix that was to let her know it's a problem and then to tell her how to fix it and communicate it enough that she would eventually start to care. I feel so unsafe right now. Right. <laughs> And my job was to make it like this, this, like this thing until she finally realized, oh, I better fix this because Kevin's nagging at me enough to make it happen. And it went both ways. And, and we still do this and we're still working at it, but we're recognizing that, that it's actually counter to transformation. That if I feel like Maria's constantly telling me what I have to do, how I should do it, then, then I'm just going to feel like I'm not good enough and I'm going to shrink back. And, and the same thing for her. But if there's a way in which I can help her experience safety, that she's safe in this relationship, well, then it creates the space for her to actually try new things and experiment and even fail sometimes because she's ultimately safe. And so what we wanted to do is we just wanted to share some things that we're trying in terms of building safety. Like these are things that we're trying in our marriage right now. Uh, I don't have a Bible verse for everyone. I'm just telling you from our experience. And my thought would be, um, as you look at a key relationship, it could be your marriage, it could be your kids, it could be a close friendship, maybe try to pick one of these. Like these are things that we've been playing with and wrestling with and, and experimenting with for the last couple of years now, but maybe just pick one this week and look at it. So things we're learning about safety. We're learning that safety is fostered when I assume that Maria is genuinely trying her best. Yep. Assuming the best is so hard sometimes, for real. It just is. Uh, but I, if I believe genuinely that Kevin is really trying his best, and still failing in some areas. I don't get overly critical. Instead, like Jesus did in that story, I actually choose to have empathy and compassion for him in those moments. That makes me want to partner with him and lets him know that it's safe to fail. It's okay to fail in our marriage and to fail in life in general. It's okay. So um, safety in our marriage can be and is fostered by a continual flow of affirmation, which is your primary love language. It's true. So I try, I'm, t- I'm trying to be more fluent in it. Um, but when I turned 36, not too long ago, uh, Kevin made me a, uh, birthday gift. Let's find it in my magical Mary Poppins bag. Uh, this is a 36 
things that I believe about you, Maria, cards. Uh, ways that, he, or things that he sees. Uh, you can clap for that. <laughs> uh, listen, listen. Take notes. I got 10 deep and like, that's harder than it looks, okay? To write 36 things, not just like, I think you're like smoking hot 36 No, we're going to read one. I'm, I'm pulling number Careful 16. because. I don't know what it is. Okay. Some of them are. This is, get, go over there. Randomly. This is a random pick. You're really, you're really gracious to other people. This is especially true with people who have a good amount of internal pain. You look beneath the facts and give great grace. I know. That's really sweet. So what these have, what these do for me, uh, and this is a really great gift in general, but what these do for me, I keep these on my desk. And when I am having a low failure sort of moment, I pull one of these out, randomly pick, although they are numbered, and I, I read a truth about me that Kevin sees in me. Because if I really believe that God has placed Kevin as my spouse to be my spouse, then I have to believe that God has placed him as a voice of reason for me. So uh, these actually help fill in the gap for me of that, fa- that failure gap that I feel when I'm really blowing it. And they replace it with the language of grace that God has, you know. So I would encourage you, if you are married, or even if you have roomies, this is a great, like, I see this in you, and I believe this about you to be true. It's just been really, really helpful. Um, Safety is fostered with questions that are more concerned with the person than the failed action. One more quick story about this. Uh, Kevin blows it at parenting, for example. This is just hypothetically... (laughs) An example of what something that could happen. Uh, so I could go into the room and say, whoa, what are you doing? Why you're like flying off the deep end, honey, like in that moment, you know, or that, yeah, like, how could you have lost it? Like, really, really, this is, you know, I could really let him have it. Or I could go in and calmly ask, hey, I see that you're having a hard time. Can I step in and help? Or, how are you feeling? Are you doing okay? Let's check in. How can I partner with you? Knowing that in that moment, whatever that, that gap of failure is, that's actually not, the behavior is not the problem. It's the root of that battle that he's fighting, that uh, piece of him, that internal struggle that's saying, am I good enough? Am I not good enough? Am I good enough? Am I not good enough? And... It actually has a name. It does. Um, it's called shame. It's called shame. So, so safety's built. This is your next note. Yeah. Fa- safety's fostered when I acknowledge the shame elephant in the room. That's this what is we my call silent that. but deadly shame elephant. Shame elephant, yeah. Isn't it sweet? No, it's not sweet. <laughs> so shame elephant has a voice. Um, and I don't know if you guys have ever heard of uh, Brene Brown. She's an author, uh, someone, a social scientist who studies shame and vulnerability and courage. Um, and in 2010, she gave a TED Talk that's one of the top five most watched TED Talks of, of all time. You should listen to it if you have not already. Um, it has almost 30 million views. I'm waiting for your YouTube to have 30 million. Yeah, I Then am we'll too. be famous get, past your husband. Get to teachers. sharing. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, she, you should really uh, listen to that. Two points from that, that talk that I want to pull out here to talk about shame in relationships. 
um, is the first thing is she defines shame as the fear of disconnection. Is there something about me that if other people know it or see it, that I won't be worthy of connection? And I just thought, that is brilliant. If I show up and be seen, even in my worst moments, will I still be accepted and loved? And I think that's kind of what all of us are asking in relationships in general, but in a marriage, it's even more, there's like a vulnerability that goes beyond. Um, And in her book, Daring Greatly, uh, she makes the point that most people walk around with a shame elephant in the room, just in general, shame elephant. And we have a small house, and when you put a shame elephant in any room in our house, there isn't much room for anything else but the shame until you deal with it. So uh, Brene, in that book, asked the reader to fill in uh, the blank, uh, in blanks that, in the blank, that's never, I'm never good enough, I'm never smart enough, I'm never worthy enough. She says, um, fill in this phrase, never blank Blank enough. enough. And then she lists off a list of things, smart, um, thin, powerful, successful. Mm -hmm. And she says, most people have something that they wa- we walk around with most days that we fill that blank in with almost all the time. And that is our shame elephant, that if other people knew that about me or thought that about me, I would not, they wouldn't, they would disconnect from me. They would go away. They would run. And so we constantly live with something like this. And so we're learning each other's tells when it comes to shame. Um, so, so for Maria, uh, when we get in a, in a disagreement, that's what Christians call fights. When we get into a disagreement, um, <laughs> We don't fight. Yeah, we didn't on Thursday night and Friday morning. No. That's what we didn't do, was get into a fight in front of my parents. That we was fun. We had to fun. call in the militia. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, so we're learning each other's tells. Like for Maria, her tell is looking down. Like she'll just look down. And, and it used to, I used to think she was just ignoring me, which would just infuriate me. Like, hi, here I am, right here, look in my eyes. And then that doesn't go well. That goes okay with a five-year-old. It doesn't go well with a spouse, right? So I'm wondering, oh, that's actually shame. She's feeling something under the surface, which is why she's, she's looking away, looking down. For me, it's looking away mm-hmm. um, or, or walking out. And mm-hmm. so she'd be like, don't leave this conversation. And I'd be like, if I stay in this conversation, it's not going to go well because my form of shame is then get big. Her former shame is pull back. And so we're learning these things about each other and about shame because most of us walk around with something in that blank. We just do. Uh, I was reading through, this was great. My parents are up visiting from Southern California and they brought me my old report cards from school. It's like, hey, you're 36, pal. This stuff's yours. They just keep dropping stuff off. My inheritance, you know? So, um, so I'm looking through my old report cards and it's like third grade. Kevin is just a joy to have in the class, but he's too talkative and he doesn't ever focus. He needs to work on this. Q1. Q2. Really love Kevin. Really got to work on that talking. Q3. Kevin's really kind. He, he never focuses on his work. Q4. Good luck. Basically is all I said. <laughs> and then fourth grade. Same thing. Kevin's really kind. He doesn't focus on his work. Kevin's really kind. He talks too much. Kevin's really kind. He's always bothering me. My fifth... That was true. A yeah, teacher and then, and then, in, and then at, at fourth quarter, it's like, we like Kevin. Because they realize you can't fix this. You just can't <laughs> fix this. And my fifth grade teacher, best story ever. My fifth grade teacher called my parents into a conference and said, Kevin talks all the time. Can't get him to shut up. He's always, you know, talking very gregarious, you know. And, um, and my mom said, well, why don't you put him in the back of the classroom by you? 
And she's like, well, that's a good idea. So she put me in the back of the classroom. The next time she came in for a parent-teacher conference, um, the teacher said, my mom said, how's it going? And the teacher said, he just turns around and talks to me all the time. And I, <laughs> I can't get my work done. I can't get my work done. Now, I genuinely like that about me, right? Busted in school, turned it into a career. I like that about me. But every once in a while, my mouth just starts going and I say things and I walk off stage embarrassed or I walk out of, we had our first um, Wednesday night gathering, right? And I'm just talking about 230 of us were in here in this room. We're all talking about stuff. And I made some essential oils comment, right? Just like fell out of my mouth and I could read it on people's faces. Oh, uh, a little too soon. Don't want to make that joke anymore. Um, but it just fell up. So I just want to clarify for the record, I'm, I'm all about essential oils, like... <laughs> I, I am. That's the language yeah. of shame right I, there. No. <laughs> I'm I've, sorry, I've been thinking I'm about sorry, this. I'm I've been thinking about this. I put the homie in homeopathic. Oh, That's what honey. I generally... I, because I'm thinking, I, I'm, I, I love the essential... Okay, oil me up, baby. I'm all about oh. it. But, um, oh, awkward. <laughs> awkward. Shame so, elephant. <laughs> I'm going somewhere with this. Here's where I'm going. Here's where I'm going. If I walk off stage, if I walk off stage and the first thing Maria says to me is, I can't believe you said that. It will just sink me. Because that is my shame elephant. Like, love to talk. I think you guys enjoy this about me. But every once in a while, it just starts going. And you, I see you shake your heads. It's not like I'm blind. The lights are on. If the first thing she says is, I can't believe you said that. Well, all of a sudden, that shame is just boom, and I can't. It's hard to preach the next service, quite honestly. So she knows I need to affirm Kevin, not just make things up, but affirm him, and then maybe ask somewhere in there, ask that, hey, was, are you were you planning on saying that thing? Is that going to come out again next service? You know, <laughs> um, but that is that is part of that thing, and she knows that about me. You know, she knows about me that when it comes to parenting, I don't want like I, who doesn't like I, I don't want to screw up my kids, you know? Like, Dave Ramsey doesn't have a counseling fund in there. Like, that's step four of your <laughs> debt snowball. Start getting a counseling fund for your kids. He doesn't do that. If you have no idea who Dave Ramsey is, take Financial Peace University. It'll set you free. Um, <laughs> no, pass the shame this but, way. But she knows, she knows when Thank I do you. lose my temper, when I, when I do mess up, that it's just sitting under the surface. You know, I, I know for her that she works, so she just got a, um, a full-time job with InterVarsity. She got a major promotion with her job, which is awesome. Well, yeah. My wife is on the executive leadership team of a 20,000-person conference coming up in a few years. It's huge, right? It's huge. But she's working full-time from home and parenting full-time, and sometimes um, she wonders, can I do both? Any, any working parents who are the stay-at-home can I do both? And so, like, we'll get to a Saturday night, and she'll forget a green, like a um, uh, a green pepper, like a bell pepper, for the menu. And I'll come over. She's like, oh, I forgot a bell pepper for dinner. And I'll come over, and she's tearing up. And I'm thinking, it's a bell pepper. Less vegetables, the better, in my opinion. <laughs> but I've come to realize it's, it has nothing to do with a bell pepper. Here's what she's thinking. She's thinking, if I can't even remember a simple grocery list, how am I ever going to have a job and parent my kids? Shame. Shame. Shame so I have to say to her, hey, you're not failing. I use those exact words. You're not failing right now. You're humaning. This is a bell pepper. We forget bell peppers. It's just part of the process. But this is, instead of hitting the thing, like, who cares? It's just a bell pepper. We're learning there's actually shame in the room mm-hmm. almost all the time. And if we can address the shame below the surface, all of a sudden, we're building intimacy and safety. 
And that's been a really, really powerful thing for us. Anything else you want to add about that? No, I think that's good. Nailed it. (laughs) (laughs) I can't. (laughs) Um, So here's, here's what we're learning, I guess. Here's what I would say. We're learning that, and this is true for all relationships, but especially in a marriage, that if the goal of marriage is to point the other person towards Jesus and to show them what it looks like to walk in partnership with God, then safety has to be a key part of that relationship. Uh, listen, I, I, can tell, I can tell you, Jesus actually sees us for who we really are, the good and the bad, the stuff we're doing and the stuff we're not. But the primary narrative of Jesus is, let's walk in partnership together. You're safe in this relationship. You're safe to explore. You're safe to fail. You're safe to ask questions. That's why we want to be a church that's always creating a safe space to challenge, to ask questions, to come just like we are. Because we believe that is the primary narrative of God. Because freedom is not found in do these 10 things and then you'll be free. Freedom is found in knowing that you are already safe, that you already belong, that God sees you, loves you with a love, and just wants to walk in partnership with you. And then when he asks us to do stuff, it's only ever because it's the best thing for us. Only ever because it's the best thing for us. It's never to get something from us. Jesus didn't need the guy to sell all his stuff. He didn't. Jesus, there's other stories where he's like, he pulls money out of fish. I mean, he doesn't, he he doesn't need, I'm not making that up. He, He didn't need the guy's money. He wanted the guy to know the deep love he had. And then in that, to take a step to walk with him. And if marriage is that key indicator to point us back to God, if this is where our relationship with Christ is worked out primarily, because we're together more than almost anybody else, then safety has to be that key component. So that's what we're, that's what we're playing with right now. That's what we're exploring right now. And I guess I would say this. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, married, not married, if you're not a Jesus follower, the invitation from God is, is to come, to take hold of your inheritance, that Jesus actually gave his life for you to pay the penalty for the sin that had separated you from God, that had you walking the streets alone by yourself, not good enough, never knowing how to do this, that Jesus actually came and he paid the price for you. And now he invites us in. He says, come to me. Come to me. Find safety in me. Enter into this relationship. Become an heir become a child, and then let the rest of it flow out from there. I'm going to close our time together, um, and I want to pray. If that's you, if you're here and you're like, that whole idea of safety and God have never gone together, then you've never experienced the God of the Bible. You just haven't, because he's a God that brings protection and safety who covers us. That song we sang, I was tearing up, like, I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Oh my gosh. If that reality went from here and went from here and actually sunk down to here, could you imagine what that would change? I'm a child of God. I'm gonna pray for you. I'm gonna pray for all of us. And I'm gonna give you a chance if you've never become a child of God to do that now. So you join me as we pray? Lord, I pray for the... uh, I pray for, for safety. 
uh, in marriages, in marriages where safety is not a, um, a defining characteristic. I pray against uh, the shame that would want to creep in. The enemy actually wants to bring shame out of this talk for husbands or wives to think, we're not doing good enough. We're not creating a safe enough place. Here's just one more thing we have to do. I pray against the enemy who would try to actually divide with something that you really want to bring unity. And I pray for um, a fresh vision of partnership, that each individual would partner with you, that we would know our safety in you, and then we would be able to express that safety to our spouse. So would you, would you do that in marriages? Would you do that in friendships? Lord, this idea of transformation happening in safe environments is, is key to your heart in all relationships. So I pray for, for friendships where safety needs to be fostered. I pray for parent-child relationships where safety needs to be fostered. Would you, would you give the kids in this church a sense that they are known and loved and safe in their parents' love? I pray for adults who are here today who never felt that safety from their parents and are wondering how to translate it to their kids. Holy Spirit, would you bring healing? Would you bring healing? Reminding my friends that they are your child and that the, the, the fear and the hurt that may have defined them in their own childhood can be healed and redeemed because they're no longer a slave to fear, but they're your child. Would you break those generational curses and bring freedom in families? As we continue to pray, if you're here and you're ready to enter into a relationship with God, walk into partnership with him and experience his forgiveness and his guidance and his partnership. You can repeat this simple prayer. You can whisper it right where you're sitting or say it in your head because God actually hears and knows and will respond. You can say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you love me and that you gave yourself to pay the penalty for my sin. And I want, I want to walk in partnership with you. I want to become your child today. So would you forgive me? Would you bring healing to my life? And would you show me what it looks like to walk with you in your safety? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.